Hi, I'm Joseph of the Cloudier Journal, and this is going to be a slightly different video than the type we typically do, typically doing interviews, but we had a suggestion to do a presentation on the subject of NATO and apartheid in South Africa, and I thought I would do a short presentation on the subject, I'll record a video on it, and, and put it out there for people who are curious about the subject. So without further ado, this is just a short introduction to the subject. I'll be reading some of the sources on the matter uh, and then encourage people to go and do further research afterwards. So this is our presentation from the Kadri Journal on NATO's support for apartheid in South Africa. NATO, since the end of World War II, had been planning strategically for war with the Soviet Union and in particular deciding which nations would be allied with NATO against the Soviet Union afterwards. Uh, in the North Atlantic Defense Committee decision on DC-13, it was discussed about how to conduct a D-Day uh, against the Soviet Union, uh, the Soviet offensive against the Allied States. So there was intense war planning uh, and considering the Soviet Union immediately after World War II. So this is dated in 1950. And South Africa was considered an ally of NATO uh, in 1950 when this decision was being drawn up. Uh, under the Union of South Africa, it was included in a list of nations that would be in alignment from the outbreak of war with the Soviet Union uh, against the USSR. The Union of South Africa was included. And what's important to note is that uh, in 1950, when this decision was drafted, South Africa had been already two years since 1948 under the apartheid policy. And thus this decision was uh, to include South Africa in there was completely taken with apartheid uh, in the context, knowing that South Africa was a, a racist uh, white supremacist state at the time did not hinder the NATO war planners from making the decision to include the Union of South Africa within the potentially al allied states against the Soviet Union. The relationship between the, the allied NATO countries and South Africa had been continuing since World War II. And of course, the United Kingdom allied with South Africa in 1955, the UK had given up one of its military bases in Simonstown, a naval base, to South Africa in exchange uh, that the UK could use this naval base whenever it wanted. In reality, this ended up being sort of a mutual defense agreement between the UK and apartheid South Africa uh, and would allow them to continue to protect what they saw as the most valuable aspect of post-World War II, the beginnings of the Cold War, in protecting the strategic sea routes from the Soviet Union's offensive potentially. And in a lot of the discussions of NATO, we see that this is a continual desire to protect the sea routes. And that's why they find the need to support the apartheid regime in South Africa. As it's reported in October of 1969, a British delegation to a meeting of NATO uh, urged NATO to extend its defense limits south of the Tropic of Cancer to include the Cape Sea route of South Africa. So they suggested the discussions on the problem might cover the supply, if South Africa requested it, of naval vessels uh, to assist in defense of the Cape of Good Hope against a potential submarine attack by the Soviet Union. So NATO, the British delegation was discussing potentially giving uh, submarines and vehicles to South Africa, to, a part, to the apartheid regime to defend itself from the Soviet Union. Uh, the British acknowledged problems over the attitudes by some NATO members towards South Africa's apartheid regime. But ultimately, this was not as much of a problem when considering the Soviet offensive as a potential issue. And they wrote that if the importance of these routes needs any underlining, 
It is only necessary to ask the question of how Europe's shipping would fare if a hostile South Africa were to forbid its ports to vessels of NATO flag nations. So if a government potentially aligned with the Soviet Union came to power in South Africa, overthrew the apartheid regime, this would be against NATO's interests and it would potentially cause a problem uh, with respect to the shipping that was so important around uh, the Cape of Good Hope. And this is important to note as well because it shows that there had already been cooperation from the beginning with South Africa participating in joint naval exercises, providing port facilities to NATO countries, tankers and cargo ships. And in addition, the radio station at Youngfield in Cape Town providing NATO with weather information and intelligence about Soviet naval movements that were moving around in the Indian Ocean. This became a big issue in 1968 when the US publicly made a hysterical outcry about the Soviets moving vessels, uh, particularly submarines to the Indian Ocean. And this is where we begin to see in NATO and the US intelligence uh, industrial complex, the beginning of the justification for why NATO and the CIA would support the apartheid regime against the Soviets to protect, of course, these all important uh, strategic shipping routes. Uh, so we have a NATO article which talks about NATO's concerns about the threat of Russian nuclear submarines. Of course, this was an overhyped threat and it, the hysteria over it allowed NATO to justify some of its uh, defense of the apartheid regime and some of its collaboration. And we also have some private CIA briefings on the subject as well. The importance of the route around uh, the Cape of Good Hope uh, in the first image, you can see that one of the big issues that NATO was concerned about in particular was the fact that Nasser in Egypt had closed the Suez Canal off uh, in the 1960s for uh, shipping supplies to Europe coming from, from the global south uh, and particularly the extraction of, of resources from the global south to Europe. And South Africa therefore became the only route accessible to extract these resources and bring them to Europe. And of course, in the first image, you can see that as long as the apartheid regime was in power, the West believed that it was gonna have access to these routes. NATO was sort of committed to protecting it by collaboration with the apartheid regime. It was a trusted ally. Whereas in the second image, you could see that if a, in their mind, a pro-Soviet, but in reality, really an anti-apartheid government of any variety had come to power, they were concerned that it would have blocked off the route for NATO ships to come around the Cape of Good Hope. And this would have been the two major choke points of Western shipping and, and Imperial extraction that would have been closed off. So NATO and the West saw the protection of the apartheid regime and its role in shipping around the Cape of Good Hope as an existential threat to the survival of the West. And some of the NATO briefings, you have them calling this the lifeline of the West that needs to be protected. Uh, so you can see the extent to which the apartheid settler colonial regime in, in South Africa was propped up as, as really a protection of Western global North interests. And this uh, graphic shows really a, a good psychological viewpoint of, of what South Africa viewed itself as well in the situation as the protector of, of white supremacy uh, in Southern Africa against the, the onslaught of, of communism, of Pan-Africanism, uh, of liberation movements, uh, and by propping itself up as this vanguard of white supremacy in South Africa, it could justify 
uh, its overtures to NATO and, and justify itself as the Cold War support that it was getting from NATO against communism and, and being the bulwark uh, of anti-communism in Southern Africa. And in addition, this became a big issue when there were uh, threats coming from, from above South Africa coming down, potentially choking South Africa, the apartheid regime, uh, as Cuba and Angola were two of the major threats that NATO identified. So in one of the articles discussing the subject, uh, it was asserted that NATO policy in Angola was the meshing of that policy with that of the apartheid regime. It's not necessary to find a signed treaty in particular, but what's clear is that their interests were overlapping at the time and ensuring that Portuguese colonialism was defended in Angola and as well that the Cubans who were helping liberate Angola and, and deliberately seeing that war as a war against apartheid were pushed back. So NATO became strategically interested uh, and invested with the apartheid regime against the liberation movement of the MPLA and Cuba as well. So we have some documents that reveal some of the insights, some of the thinking of uh, different admirals who were writing to NATO and writing and trying to shape NATO policy on the subject. One of them was Vice Admiral uh, Peter William Gretton, of a British sea lord. Uh, and he wrote an article entitled, What Should NATO Policy Be? Wherein he wrote that the interests of, he asked the question of what are the interests of the NATO powers in the Indian Ocean and the South Atlantic? The first requirement is that the region should remain politically friendly and stable and that international trade should continue to grow. With this comes the need for the free flow of shipping. Uh, we can read politically friendly and stable as inclined towards anti-communism, inclined towards the West, uh, not inclined towards uh, the liberation movement against apartheid uh, or the Soviet Union or communism. Uh, and then he wrote that frequent proposals are made for United Nations sanctions against South Africa in connection with apartheid, uh, apartheid in quotes, so I don't really know why he was, was quoting it. I guess he didn't think it was really an issue. Uh, or the demand to hand over the control of Southwest Africa or Namibia. A vote in the assembly would be overwhelmingly in favor, but those nations which are capable of enforcing such sanctions as a blockade are likely to abstain or vote against. And it, crucially in the mind of this NATO admiral, he wrote that it is hoped that no such attempt will be made for any interference with the free use of Cape Town and Durban, which could be the result of even a partial blockade. Uh, again, this blockade at sanctions being you know, against apartheid trying to end this brutal white supremacist regime well, would seriously handicap the flow of shipping around the Cape. So to these NATO admirals, the concern was not the rights of, of Black South Africans or the horrors of the apartheid regime uh, the brutal killings of, of oppressed people in South Africa and, and the continuation of settler colonialism, the concern was always the shipping route uh, around the Cape requiring uh, this route to remain open politically and to remain stable, which is a, a euphemism, of course, uh, and there's a lot of euphemisms used throughout, um, which of course just means that the only concern for the West was that uh, imperialism was not hindered and for imperialism to be accessible and, and propped up by shipping coming from South Africa, apartheid had to be. So we also have statements from other NATO generals as well who wrote on a similar subject uh, as Gretton did. We have a statement from Hendrik Johan Kroos, who was the head of the Netherlands military administration. Uh, and in his document, he discussed the fact that uh, South Africa, uh, who what he referred to as uh, whose strategic position in this respect, with, with respect to the South Atlantic, 
uh, Cape Sea Route is not enjoying the undivided friendship of the countries whose sea communications are once again dependent on the rounding of the Cape of Good Hope. This fact disturbs the strengthening of South African armed forces and military cooperations in safeguarding Western sea communications. So he's advocating for strengthening South African armed forces to protect Western sea communications. Uh, and a final look at the Eastern shores of the African continent may show that these are full of potential dangers for what he called the lifelines of the West uh, through both the Indian and the South Atlantic oceans. When he's referring to the Eastern shores of the African continent, we can also remember that Mozambique at the same time under Frilimo was undergoing a national liberation struggle uh, Marxist-Leninist one at that. Uh, so he's also identifying just as in Angola with Cuba that Mozambique as well has a potentially pro-Soviet liberation movement that could uh, pose a potential danger to the lifelines of the West. And that statement is very evocative and it really shows sort of the psyche of, of NATO at this time to defend its, its lifeline, to defend the West as a whole by protecting the apartheid regime. Then, a lot of this information began being revealed because, of course, all of it was classified in, in NATO discussions by the British anti-apartheid movement. Uh, they authored many, many articles and, and even released a lot of the information to the UN Committee on South Africa on apartheid. They wrote, uh, and perhaps this summarizes a lot of the documents that they revealed, that strategically South Africa has already begun to be incorporated into NATO's intelligence network. They were releasing documents in the 1970s and 1975 that alleged that several NATO members, including the US, UK, France, uh, West Germany, Holland, and Denmark, had been engaged in the planning and development of Project Advocat, which is the main uh, project or operation that uh, the intelligence operation that NATO was funding and the communications operations um, that NATO was doing, uh, which was basically a naval surveillance system established by the apartheid regime at Silvermine in South Africa, which allows South Africa to keep under surveillance an area stretching from South America to Bangladesh. South Africa under the apartheid regime began having huge access to intelligence and communications resources, allowing it to help NATO monitor basically much of the South Atlantic uh, and keep it under watch. Uh, you know, it, this overlaps of course with Operation Condor in Latin America and continuing US involvement in the South and Southeast Asia. Uh, you know, of course, with the imperialist war in Vietnam. So South Africa, the apartheid regime was becoming very involved uh, with the uh, surveillance of this region, uh, in particular, the naval uh, watch of, of Soviet ships that were going around. So the anti-apartheid movement in the UK uh, received certain documents and they wrote, which taken together reveal high level military collaboration between South Africa and several Western powers. The documents reveal that the NATO defense code is available to the Pretoria regime and has been utilized to code the equipment and spares of its new military communication system known as Project Advocat. In view of the importance of this information, I'm enclosing a memorandum together with copies of the relevant documents. So essentially what this shows is that NATO was giving coding information as well to the apartheid regime to allow it to use the codes to access NATO equipment, to access NATO CRAS, NATO intelligence, NATO surveillance. So South Africa was becoming very integrated into the intelligence system of NATO. Uh, then this is a larger reading from the UN Committee on Apartheid, uh, which showed that the, uh, the British anti-apartheid movement was releasing information on the alleged links. So one of the re revelations from this information that as it was posed to 
the UN Committee on Apartheid uh, was that the British anti-apartheid movement showed that orders for parts of the system had been placed with companies in the NATO countries uh, using NATO forms and NATO stock codes. Uh, South, the NATO, uh, the British anti-apartheid movement stated that South Africa is now within the NATO defense code area and its military equipment and spare parts are codified and recorded in the same way as for NATO members. And so this information, you know, was only accessible to countries that were going to be allied with NATO. And this is a huge revelation to show that the apartheid regime was fully integrated into the NATO defense system. Uh, and it, it was actually being allowed to receive military equipment in particular for surveillance and, and naval communications that at the same time, the UN was attempting to do an arms embargo. Uh, much of the world was trying to sanction South Africa. And so NATO is at the same time allowing access to spare parts, military equipment, uh, which are being purchased and, and acquired with NATO defense codes uh, placed in orders of companies. Uh, in addition, this, this project Advocat, which allowed uh, the apartheid regime to get access to the NATO information, uh, was a sophisticated computer-operated military communications project uh, at Silvermine in, uh, with branch stations at Walvis Bay and Durban. And it enabled South Africa to build the project, uh, which, when which when completed will be able to monitor all marine and air communications from the South Pole to North Africa, from South America to Bangladesh. NATO military equipment and the secret NATO coding system uh, were used to, uh, were, were used to obtain the military equipment and were supplied to South Africa. Actually, these documents show through the West German Army uh, Supply Department. So of course, uh, West Germany was very much involved with supporting South Africa. And, and of course, West Germany uh, had not been completely denazified. So there was a lot of uh, sympathy from the West German military, uh, uh, military uh, branch, uh, which was of course very sympathetic to apartheid considering that it had not been denazified and was very integrated into the NATO hierarchy. Uh, and then this article goes on to say that the NATO strategy is in part at least apparently based on the desire to monitor such things as the movement of arms from communist countries to the states of Eastern Africa and the Southern Africa liberation movements. So what this article reveals as well is that uh, the NATO strategy is in part at least apparently based on the desire to monitor such things as the movement of arms from communist countries the states of Eastern Africa and the Southern Africa liberation movements. That is the NATO presence in the Indian Ocean region is designed in part to facilitate intelligence gathering on a continual basis. And of course, NATO and South Africa had a common interest in suppressing these communist movements. South Africa had invaded Angola uh, in, in the 1970s uh, and was you know, invading and operating intelligence networks across Africa to try and destroy liberation movements and potentially communist aligned movements because these would threaten the apartheid regime as well. So uh, the implementation of, of these decisions was made by, uh, by NATO's high ranking uh, planning committee. So uh, as Sean Gervaisi notes, uh, in 1972, the defense planning committee of NATO authorized the Supreme Allied Commander in the Atlantic to carry out contingency planning for the protection of the Cape Sea routes in war and sub-war situations. This was the first time that NATO had been authorized to draw up contingency plans for operations outside the NATO area. Uh, and then South Africa, with the assistance of some Western countries, has constructed a major military communications and intelligence complex at Silvermine near Simonstown. The NATO IFF system is connected to this network, IFF being 
indication friend or foe, which was allowing NATO to decide whether uh, naval traffic or uh, groups uh, moving throughout the oceans being watched in these areas were friends or foes of NATO to decide whether they should be monitored or, or pursued potentially what their movements were, were where they were heading, whatnot. Uh, and then Western intelligence agencies are using the radio and intelligence gathering systems of the silver mine complex. So this system was openly accessible to the entire Western intelligence network. Then in addition, one of the, the fascinating revelations of all of this is that NATO has enormously aided South Africa in the nuclear field. South African nuclear research, which has now reached the point where that country has achieved a commercially viable uranium enrichment capability, was powerfully assisted from the beginning by the NATO powers, especially the US and West Germany. NATO countries supplied South Africa with such equipment as nuclear reactors and enriched uranium. And of course, South Africa would obtain six nuclear weapons by the end of apartheid. These were never used, but they were possessed by the apartheid regime. And there was a great concern that they would be potentially used against one of the liberation movements in Southern Africa that was allied with, with communism, with the Soviet Union. Then there's some interesting revelations uh, in some of the texts about the extent to which NATO, actually like NATO oper operatives themselves or NATO commanders were involved in traveling to South Africa while there's an international boycott against traveling there. Uh, and there, there's sanctions and there's an, an attempt to you know, block travel to South Africa. So one is a former general, Kilmanseg, who was the NATO commander of Central Europe, uh, and he traveled to South Africa, took free trips uh, to South Africa in 1971-1975. And then there's uh, former General Rall, who was the German representative to the Military Council of NATO. Of course, again, these are West German uh, military operatives. Uh, in October 1974, he took a free trip to South Africa, sponsored by the South Africa Foundation, which is a pro-apartheid uh, propaganda network uh, designed to stimulate Western support for South Africa. Uh, touring the Pelindaba nuclear research site, exposure of the visit in September 1975 led to great public controversy. And he was identified as a stalwart defender of South African interests in Germany. Uh, and of course, these are two individuals who were involved in NATO operations and NATO planning and sit on the, the councils of NATO. Then some of the interesting revelations which relate to these individuals, as well as many individuals throughout the entire Western intelligence and military complex, uh, are some of the revelations about LUSOC, uh, the foreign policy forum that many people are perhaps familiar with, a very secretive network of some high-ranking foreign policy uh, uh, imperialists like Henry Kissinger, Margaret Thatcher. Um, and one of the main goals of LUSOC was Opposing communism, of course, but in the 70s and 80s, it became very involved in supporting apartheid. Uh, at one point, a quarter of its funding was coming from the apartheid regime. And one of the interesting things that we find is that a lot of the studies commissioned to support publicly trying to get NATO to be more invested in defending apartheid are, are funded by groups that are affiliated with LISA. Uh, and those two individuals I just referenced, the two NATO commanders, as well, we're, we're taking some of those visits, we're involved in the foundation of uh, some of the, the research groups in NATO, uh, in particular, this one, the FARI, uh, which was publishing some different manuals and pamphlets, such as uh, an American view on the growing Soviet influence in Africa, and the most revealing one, uh, the need to safeguard NATO's strategic raw materials from Africa, which was directly talking about developments affecting the defense of the Cape route. So they're very focused on the sea rats and that's why they justified 
uh, the, this propaganda to argue for NATO to be more involved in defending apartheid. And what, what ended up occurring of this is Germany in particular became very involved in supporting South Africa uh, and the apartheid regime. Uh, the German military was particularly helpful in the provision of NATO codes used by members of the Alliance to integrate their equipment and weapon systems. Access to these codes provided by the German military, access to these NATO codes, uh, made it easier to procure weapons from Western suppliers and ensured a behind the scenes alignment with the, the NATO alliance. So at the same time that there is, of course, this arms embargo trying to encircle the apartheid regime and the UN is attempting to implement this uh, and many activist groups as well. Uh, Germany in particular is giving access to the apartheid regime to the NATO codes, which are helping to procure weapons for the apartheid regime. But just to conclude, I would say thank you to Prester John on YouTube who recommended we discuss, but hopefully this will stimulate some more public awareness of, uh, in particular within, within communist circles about the extent to which NATO was involved in supporting the apartheid regime. Uh, and I'm actually here in South Africa right now, uh, so I thought it would be appropriate to focus on the subject. I recommend three texts that I used as sources for a lot of this information. The first is Apartheid Guns and Money by Henny van Vieren, then Rogue Agents by David Teacher, and then the last is a document from the South African Institute of International Affairs uh, entitled NATO in South Africa, which has some of the writings that I referenced throughout and a lot of the discussions. And then there's one source as well, uh, looking up the information from the British anti-apartheid movement uh, and uh, the submissions that it made to the UN Committee on Apartheid. And thank you so much for watching.